Uh, we're going to be in 1 John today, looking in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. I tried to go through chapter 2, verse 2, but that needs to be something all on its own coming next Sunday. So, going to be talking about just lessons from 1 John, becoming battle ready. You say, why do you call it becoming battle ready? Because the tenets and, and the truths that's contained in 1 John, if we pay attention to them, will cause us to know how to act in the day in which we live. And the front end of 1 John, especially just about the first two chapters, pay, pay specific attention to the way we conduct ourselves in this world. And in fact, today we're getting into it, and we're just starting to get into this issue of being the light of God in this world. God... God, okay, just if you can wrap your brain around that for a second, indwells his people with his fullness. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit indwell you. If you know Jesus Christ, you've been born of his spirit, you've been born again, you're saved. He indwells you, all of him. And he seeks to, to uh, illuminate the world through you. But then in that, there's this uh, corresponding relationship that we have with God as light bearers, okay, with which we either choose to cooperate in that privilege or not. Much can be said in the discussion of the sovereignty of God and salvation. Many conversations have been made if people have choices or not in that. And that's great. But here's one that's not had too much. When you are a Christian, we know full well that we fight a war on being obedient or not, do we not? We know what that truth is. And we know that the Bible, on one hand, commends us to glorify God in our bodies, and the reason it tells us to do that is because the, the writers of Scripture and the Holy Spirit himself, the author of Scripture, knows that we have a tendency to drift, to, to, to step aside sometimes out of that glorious privilege. So think about that. The light of God is the theme of these verses. I'm going to read something to you from uh, a man named Ian H. Murray in a book he wrote called Evangelical Holiness. I think I've shared it before. But this is a very powerful statement of what the world needs from us. Okay, What is the means that God commonly uses to show the truth of the gospel message? It's a good question. What is the means by which God commonly uses to show the truth of the gospel message? It is surely the evidence of changed lives there is an argument which the world cannot answer when the selfish become caring the proud humble the immoral pure it is spiritual men and women that take that make the gospel visible in the world this is us being light bearers christians are people very different from what they were and very different from the society in which they live. They shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Authentic holiness draws attention to God. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We live at a time in a country where there is massive indifference to Christianity. Unbelief is arrogant. In many parts of the land, church buildings are uh, disused and sold, perhaps to be turned into theaters or public houses. Now, he's writing as an English minister and theologian. And in England, we see this as this is really bad in England. In fact, in the country of Wales, no other country in the world has as many church buildings as the country of Wales because of the amount of revivals that God had performed there. But many, 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 if not the majority of them now are literally homes, private businesses, restaurants, and coffee houses. And, and so in England and Western Europe, the same. It might therefore be argued that the priorities for Christians today should be reaching the world outside or defending the truth of the Christian faith. When Christianity is weak, the fault generally lies not in the world but in the church herself. Let the spiritual health of the church be what it ought to be and there will be no question of her declining impact on the world. Study to show yourself approved unto God is the biblical mandate. It is sanctified men and women who are described as being useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Speaking on this point, an old writer has said, and I put this in bold to emphasize it, the design of Christianity is to change men's lives. And if it does not prove its divinity by its efficacy, let it be condemned as an imposter. This was one of its most operative convincing proofs at the beginning, and certainly it is its greatest abiding proof, and I would say even for our day too. It's not any wonder then, whenever things like what we've heard about in the news with the fall of Afghanistan, when you have either be it communist or Islamic people, warrior, whatever, going after, they, they target Christians. Why? It, it's nonsensical if you think about it, because it seems to me that if something's not chasing you down, attacking you, coming at you, or shooting at you, well, why wouldn't you just leave it alone? It's, it proves no threat. Unless that thing that you're afraid of, its biggest threat is the truth of God emanating from it. That truth that sets men and women free, that truth that comes in and unfather and the son. But you walk in darkness. You lie. That doesn't mean though for a second that what John is saying is that if you fail as a Christian or you fall into sin that somehow you've become lost. This is no. This is written to people who believe. He's saying if you truly do know Jesus You cannot, you cannot persist like that. There will be a day of reckoning in you because God will not, he will not suffer his name to be sullied by you. You're his child. He will not allow you to persist. You will repent and you will get obedient because that's what parents do, (laughs) okay? That's what God does, 
And the painful part of that is sometimes he's, he's really slow and methodical about it. But when it's finished, you will be in right relationship. But he's also saying, there are people who claim Christ and they live like the devil, they think like the devil, they eat like the devil, and they smell like the devil. Must be the devil. There's nothing redemptive about them. Stop listening to them. TV preachers and celebrity type ministers that we have in these mega churches, okay, that seem to always, all the talk is about them. What they said, the book they wrote, the commercial they made, and isn't he funny? And look at his hair. Most, some of them. But it's not about Jesus. Every godly minister I know that could have a claim to fame, and you would all know them because they've also wrote wrote books as well, but they always, always defer the praise to the one. What about the word walk? If you go down in verse 6 and 7, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin so what is this word walk peripateo it it means behavior essentially it means to live or behave in a specified manner to live or behave in a specified manner and I like it it's common sense if you well, it could, be, it could apply to anything that you do in your life. If you're a school teacher and you're in the classroom and you've been educated and, and you have your teaching certificate, when you're in the classroom, everything about you should pretty much point to the fact that you are genuinely a teacher. You should know how to do your subject. You should be very well versed in your material. You should be able to teach and correct and, 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 and show the students how to capture whatever that discipline is that you happen to be in. But remember in the day whenever you'd have a substitute? And she, she or he sometimes, he, he's, the, the men were always the most crabby, but almost the most permissive though too. Um, but they didn't know anything. And I remember a few, at, at first it was when we still were in the classroom. We had the homeroom, you know. And they raised their hand. Hey, what about this? I don't know, your teacher will be back tomorrow. And the kids were like, there's nothing you can do with that. Doesn't know anything about it. His job is to sit in that chair and to keep us from destroying ourselves. You should have as a Christian a proof of life. Your conversation. Now in the King James, the word conversation is used for how you live. But in our day, conversation literally means how we talk. But it's both. How do you sound to others? Does Jesus, does Jesus come out? You say, I don't always act right. Okay, me neither. Do you make it right? Because Jesus is coming out. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had to walk back into a store and apologize. No, I'm serious. Look, I'm a man. I got issues, okay? I, I, I got everything you, have, you guys have, but I get in that truck and the Lord is just like, this is not who we are. You need to go and say you were wrong. So I do. Why? Because I don't want my prayers to be hindered and I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit any worse than I have and I want to be in right standing with the Father so that just in case He might want to use me, I'm available. To live or behave in a specified manner. Here's some verses. In Exodus 18, 20, And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. This is how we live. Right? Deuteronomy 13. You shall walk, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. This is our life. This is how we live. This is our behavior. Mark 7. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to tradition of the elders but eat bread with unwashed hands? In other words, the Pharisees, the religious elite said, they don't live like us. They're not behaving like we are. Jesus, they're your disciples and they're very different. And it bugs us. Well, Jesus answered their question later. But the point is, it identifies this word peripateo. It's how you live. So you've got to ask yourself this question. Does the way you live Show the light of God. And don't, I don't mean, I ain't nobody that perfect. No, no. I mean, in your weakness, in your failings, does your life show the light and heartbeat of a changed life? As we read on down, back in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from you and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. It's always profoundly makes me wonder about the cult leaders who attribute sexual sin to God as His will. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing. Boy, the hammer's going to drop on you. Practice. He says in verse 6, we lie and do not practice the truth. The word practice is poyo and it means to do. It just simply means to do. What do you do, right? And and it, it also is to behave, but in a certain manner, or to show a certain behavior or attribute to conduct yourself in a certain way. It's really close to the other word with a little bit different. It just highlights even more. I, I've been recently, we've been remodeling our bathroom, and it's horrendous, okay? And I feel for any of you who are building a house. But um, when staining wood, for example... You bring out the beauty of the grain, right? And I just love how sometimes if you use two different stains, it'll 
you know, one color will highlight one aspect of the wood and then you put in a darker or something and all of a sudden there's this, whoa, there's this whole other aspect of it. You didn't even know it was there. I mean, have you ever stained wood before? Oh, that's cool. That's, that's how these two words walk and practice are related. It, they're the same, but they do a different thing. They're supposed to glorify the wood grain in your life. They're supposed to show what you're made of. Does, does, that, does Jesus show in the grain of your life? Some more verses, Deuteronomy 4. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land in which you go to possess. Do we act? Now let's ask this question. Do we act according to the statutes and judgments of redeemed children of God in the land in which we possess? Do we? Do we? In chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, and you shall do, okay, what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Oh yeah, everything you do in your jobs, when you're by yourself, when you're meandering down the tool aisle or the grocery store, or you're pulling weeds, or you're just sitting there in traffic wondering why the madness doesn't stop. Even there, you are in the sight of the Lord. Your conviction should not happen in your sin because someone else sees you and says you're being a hypocrite. Your conviction should happen because God sees you. That means that when you're in your vehicle and you're frustrated and you're going off in your head, that is not who you are. That is not who God made you to be. And there should be a conviction of sin on that. And if there's not on any of those things, I don't know that you walk in the truth. John 3, but he who does, now notice this, he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now notice the the do, the does, and the done. That's us. We are a present day, born again child of God. We don't have to wait till later. Okay? We are right now, and we have a present day Savior. He doesn't come later. He has come. Now, He's coming later, but that's a whole other subject. And boy, when He does, He will smite the nations. And he will vanquish his enemies. He will come with ten thousands of his saints. Man, what a day. And lastly, I want to talk to you about practice. Um, right action, as Bishop of Durham wrote, right action is truth, or right action is true thought realized. And he's talking about how we act. Right action is true thought realized. Every fragment of right done is so much truth made visible. Do you, do you, under, 
Do you understand what he's saying here? Right actions is truth being fleshed out. When you act right and do right, that's truth in your life coming out. Every fragment of right done is so much truth made visible. How much truth of God is coming out of you and me? And it's not always truth in the positive because we don't always do right. But it can also be truth in the negative. But because I've done wrong, I'm now making it right. See, the point is truth is coming out. Truth. As we read down to finish the verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have here lastly, and it doesn't appear in the text, but what I call the promise, the promise of the light of God living in us, the promise, the reassurance The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we know Christ, if if we've been born again, and by the way, let me just say something here real quick. Over the course of the years in ministry, and I've been doing this over 20-something years now, I've had this kind of come up from time to time. I've had people say, I'm not sure if I'm saved because maybe I didn't say a formula. I, I don't remember saying this to Jesus but when you begin to talk to them and, and, and you ask them if they believe in their belief in Jesus, their understanding of sin, their understanding of why Jesus came to die on the cross, if, when, you, when you look and talk to them, you understand that these are genuinely born-again people and you can encourage them and say there is no formula <laughs> with which you have to say to be saved. There is a, a happening that occurs in your life at some point. Sometimes for some it's instantaneous, and for others it's what you would call a, a, a lane change over 50 miles. Okay? Point being is you all end up in the same place in Christ. There's no formula. You believe. You know you do. Your life shows you do. Don't get bogged down in what men say. Look at what God says. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much? All of it. This is where evangelists get really excited. All of it. That's what He said He would do. If if we repent... He will save us. It's what the promise is. So the promise is what we live on as light bearers of God. The great assurance of saving faith then is possessing a heart that is brimming with confidence upon the word of God while simultaneously delighting in the Lord's commands and enjoying his presence in daily life. Wouldn't you say so? I was trying to write this out and think, how's a good definition? The greatest assurance of saving faith then is the witness of the spirit of the fellowship of Jesus Christ in the repentant sinner. 
hey, I want you to know I repented of my sin at 12 and became a Christian. And I also want to tell you that for 36 years hence, I have repented every day because I am, okay? Because that which is in me is greater than that which is in the world. And because he never quits me and he never quits you. And because no matter the junk you may get into, boy, dark God is so big and loving and kind and merciful and sovereign in the grace that he extends to us that hell can't take us out of his grip. He gets right down in the mud with us. <clears throat> if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Real quick, before we close, I want to talk to you just briefly about what Richard Owen Roberts wrote about repentance. You hear the word used a lot. Maybe you're not quite sure what it means. Richard Owen Roberts is really old. So this is an old definition. But he's still alive. Faith without repentance is unthinkable. He writes. Think about that. It is impossible to believe when you are going in the wrong direction. How can someone who is going his own way go God's way? How can a person who is utterly committed to sin, the flesh and the devil, be utterly committed to Jesus Christ and righteousness? It is necessary to turn from in order to turn to. Repentance and faith are different sides of the same turning. In repentance, we turn from sin and self. In faith, we turn to Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Both repentance and faith are mandatory to salvation. You must turn from your sin in order to turn to Jesus Christ. You cannot turn to Christ unless you have turned from your sin. Repentance and faith belong together. Any attempt to separate them is a grievous mistake. And in 2021, with all of our technology and electricity and gadgets, the simplicity of the gospel message still goes out. For some, it will mean persecution and certain death. But the power of the gospel into salvation is powerful enough to keep them in that grace until they make heaven. And for others like us, the gospel message will go out in all of our affluence and securities. And men and women, boys and girls, will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it will cost them to turn from their flesh to Jesus to see what he will do with them next. Both of us are children of God in both of those extreme ends of the spectrums of grace. And both of us have a purpose. Have you repented of your sin? Have you come before the cross? Have you seen the wickedness of your actions? It's all been about you. 
narcissism dies at the feet of Jesus. He will not tolerate any other gods, much less yourself. Have you repented and say, Jesus, I turn from my sin, my plan, my my desires, and I turn to you and surrender whatever you want to do. Here's my life. It's a blank check. Spend it how you want. That's saving faith and repentance in Christ. Have you been saved? It used to be back in the old days. Some of you remember. Whether you agree with it or not, as I've been thinking about it, when Jesus is calling people to salvation, it is irresistible. And like I said, that process is different for everybody. But I remember, I remember days, months, where people would, just about every service, They'd get up out of their seat and they'd come to the altar and they would cry and weep for Jesus to save their soul. Then they'd go, I've seen men come and hang on the preacher and nearly pull him to the ground because they were so burdened and so rejoicing that God had had mercy on them. That used to happen. Lots of things used to happen. Just because they haven't happened in a long time, though, doesn't mean they won't happen again. Do you know Christ? Have you been saved? If you are saved, as 1 John wrote, does your fellowship show it? Does your walk reveal it? Ain't none of us any better than the rest here. The ground is level, as they say, at the foot of the cross. You can check your degrees and your finances and your cars and your land right there. We all come alone to Christ and we all stay the same in Him and who He makes us to be. I'm going to ask JT to come. What about you? Is your fellowship in Christ? Do you know Him? Have you repented of your sin? Have you been born again? If you have not, then in in your seat where you are, or in an act of faith and surrender, you get up and you come to this altar, or you take me by the hand and say, I need to be saved. I'm happy to pray with you, to talk with you. God does the saving. Christian, if you've been living in a pit and in a swamp, drain it bring it all up here and dump it on the altar leave clean live your week as a blood bought spirit taught child of God I don't know what you need to do but I know what God says we must do as JT leads I'll be right here